Today and the next three weeks hereafter, we're going to be looking at this Old Testament book of Jonah. I've always wanted to preach on the book of Jonah, and I never have in my public ministry. And so, since I have limited time, I'm going to do it now. Jonah, a book with four chapters. And so we're going to take a chapter a week. So if you want to read ahead, you can read chapter 2 for next week and, and be ahead of the game. The book of Jonah probably ranks among the most misunderstood of the books of the Bible. And uh, we're going to tackle this book and pull it apart. So I hope you have your Bibles ready. If not, take the Pew Bible uh, that's in front of you and turn to page 897 in the Pew Bible and have that open uh, because we're going to work down through the text of chapter 1. Now, the book of Jonah is misunderstood for a lot of reasons. Um, if, if you've been uh, a part of the church for any length of time and you go back to your Sunday school days when you were a child, hearing the story of Jonah and the whale, uh, many of us have heard it over and over and over again. And, and it seems that in the telling of that story in our childhood memory, that the story seems to focus on two verses in Jonah, on Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, the first where the, the great fish swallows Jonah, and then in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 10 where the great fish spits Jonah out. And that's kind of the, the big kind of Hollywood moment. Jonah swallowed by the whale. Jonah spit out by the whale. Then you move on in your Christian education experience into junior high school, and your interests begin to change in junior high school. And what you remember most about Jonah is that during that time, you're, so, you're bored spitless in Sunday school, and so you begin to learn how to, to uh, work your concordance and you look, you discover in your concordance in the back of your Bible that there is the word vomit. And as a junior higher, you think the word vomit is really cool. And so uh, you look up the reference next to the word vomit and discover that this word comes from the book of Jonah. And there it is, uh, right in the middle of this Old Testament book. Now, when you get older, like me and some of us in this room, it's very easy for us to have this kind of been there, done that uh, attitude about the book of Jonah. It has been, it's passe, it's old hat, it's a tall tale about a whale. And we really don't care about hearing about the book of Jonah. But I am so committed to us studying this book and finding in it the contemporary message to the church of Jesus Christ today because this book is so rich in its biblical importance. It is brilliantly crafted. It's a powerful story with memorable characters and has a life-changing message right in the middle of it. And, and I think that's what God wants to speak to our hearts over these next four weeks. Now, basically, the book of Jonah is about a God who is full of compassion and about a prophet who's on the run. That's why I've entitled this series, Compassionate God, runaway prophet. Because what you're going to see here over and again is a God who is full of mercy and compassion over against the life of Jonah, who is a reluctant or a runaway prophet. Now, Jonah himself probably is the most overrated prophet of all the prophets in the Bible. If the book of Jonah is misunderstood, 
the man is overrated. And by the end of these four weeks together in this book, you're going to realize that Jonah is not really a prophet at all. He's really an anti-prophet. He will become for you the prophet who you love to hate. He will be Simon Cowell to you. He will be Wiley E. Coyote to you. Uh, if, uh, jo- if Jonah were a political character, he would be um, Millard Fillmore to you. There's other names I could use, but I'm not going to step on that ground. He's a reluctant runaway guy. Pretty much everything we know from Jonah comes from the book of Jonah itself. We assume that Jonah is the author of this. That's our assumption. Biblical scholars tell us so. There is one verse about Jonah in in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 25, uh, chapter 14, verse 25, that tells us just a little bit more about Jonah. You don't need to turn there in your Bibles. I think the verse is being projected on the screen behind me. Uh, this verse uh, begins talking about King Jeroboam II, who was ruling at that point. And then down in verse 25, it tells us that he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his, there's his name, his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. Now, we learn a couple of important things in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25 there about Jonah. First of all, that there in 2 Kings, he was a prophet of God. That was his job assignment. That was his role in the nation of Israel. He was a prophet, and he prophesied successfully, at least that time, about the expansion of Israel's borders. He was around during the reign of King Jeroboam II, which would have placed Jonah somewhere between 753 and 793 B.C. We know, too, from 2 Kings that his hometown was the town, the city of Gath-Hefer. Now, what's interesting, though, about this small little book in the midst of the minor prophets tucked away in the Old Testament is that the book of Jonah actually operates on three separate levels. There's the face value portion of it, uh, and, and you'll see that right away as the story. It's the story that most of us are familiar with. But beyond that, there's a deeper symbolism. This is the second level in the book of Jonah. There's a deeper symbolism where Jonah represents the nation of Israel and everybody else in the story represents the surrounding nations and God's attitude toward Israel and God's attitude toward the surrounding nations. So you had the face value story. You have the second level where Jonah represents the nation of Israel. All the other nations represent the surrounding nations. But there's a third level, and those of you who are real Bible scholars and want to dig deep on this, there's a third level that may not have been intended by the author, but I'm convinced that it was intended by God. And that is that in this story, Jonah represents the church 
or religious people of today. And that the rest of the people in this story are representing the non-religious people of our day. That is, the other characters, all but Jonah, the other characters represent people who are outside the family of God, who have not come to faith in Christ. And so we need to, as we plow through this over the next four weeks, we need to watch this on all three levels as we read through the book. So Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and this is what the Lord said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, verse 2 defines exactly what God's will was for Jonah. He was to go to the great city of Nineveh, and he was to preach. And there was a special thing that he needed to preach about. He needed to preach about the wickedness of the city of Nineveh. Now, this is a test for the next 60 seconds. This is a test. The gauntlet's been thrown down. And what we find out here in this story, God speaks to Jonah. Jonah hears what God is speaking. The test is this. Will Jonah obey or not? Will he listen to what the Lord has spoken? Or will he selfishly disobey God's commands to him? Now let me ask you a couple of questions based on verses 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 1 uh, that are pointed out here in these verses about the city of Nineveh. Just shout out one of the characteristics of Nineveh. What, what do we learn about Nineveh in these first two verses? Shout it out. It's big. It's a great city. And then I heard somebody else say the other characteristic. It's wicked. It's a big city, and it's a wicked city. And those are, those are the characteristics that seem to be uh, dominating these first two verses. It's great because of its size. It happened to be the capital city of the, uh, the Assyrian Empire at that time, which was the dominant empire of the day. So this is, this is the Washington, D.C. of Assyria. It's a great city. But it's a great city also because it's a city that mattered to God, because there were people who were lost there. Now, the second thing that we learn about Nineveh is that it was a wicked city. In its entirety, it was a wicked city. And we know from historians that that Nineveh and the Assyrians in general were some of the most wicked, despotic uh, people of the day. They were the best warriors of the day. Their land was expanding, and they were known for being outrageously cruel to their enemies. And uh, they were known for their cruel torture devices and means of hurting people as they began to dominate all the nations around them. We are told by historians that the walls of Nineveh were 20 feet thick. In fact, in the late 1800s, there were archaeologists who discovered what they thought were ruins of Nineveh, and they could tell by the archaeological findings that the walls of this great and wicked city were 20 feet thick, and it was a great fortress. And the call of God is on Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them about their wickedness. Now you can imagine, can't you, uh, how intimidating this assignment must have been. 
I mean, for Jonah to have to go to Nineveh, it would be like God inviting a Jewish rabbi in 1943 to go to uh, Nazi Germany and preach against the Nazis. It would have been that same kind of situation. That's the call that's on Jonah's life. The direction that comes from God is not to go to Israel, which would be natural. Prophets were to speak in the Old Testament, were to speak to the people of God about their wickedness. No, the directions are much more unlikely than that. The unlikely directions that God gives to Jonah is, you are to go to Nineveh and you are to preach there in Nineveh about their wickedness. So move on to verse 3, which says that, but Jonah ran, let's stop right there, but Jonah, but Jonah. Because anytime you see those big words, but, right in the middle of the passage, you know that, that God is getting ready to set up a huge contrast between what he what came before and what comes after. He wants you to pay attention to something. Verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And where did he go? Did he head for Nineveh? No, he headed for Tarshish. I kept practicing that word yesterday. It's hard for me to say. Tarshish. Let's all say it together. It'll make me feel better. Tarshish. He was called to go to Nineveh, but instead of going to Nineveh, he chose instead to go to Tarshish. (laughs) Let's see where that is on the map. Linda, can you put the map up there? I wish I had a pointer like a classroom teacher. Um, Nineveh is up over there. You see where Assyria is? And there's a little dot just above that set off, Nineveh. That's where Nineveh is. But instead of going to Nineveh, to the east, where did Jonah decide he was going to go? To Tarshish, which is west. See Tarshish? There's an arrow that points off the map in the western Mediterranean. It's, It's so far off to the west that it's not even on the map. God spoke to Jonah and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. But instead of going east to Nineveh, the Word tells us that he very intentionally went down to a port called Joppa. You can see it down there, just where it curves around by Egypt, Joppa, down on the Mediterranean Sea. He paid his fare to buy passage on a boat, and he started to sail for Tarshish. I hate that word. Now, Jonah has no excuses. Jonah knows God. Jonah knows the Bible. Jonah knows what the heart of God is. He's had a message from God. But rather than listening and obeying to the voice of the Lord, what does Jonah do? He chooses to run fast in the opposite direction, the other way. Now, that's the last place that Jonah should be going. God told him to do something. He should have been quick to obey the voice of the Lord. But instead, 
he decides that he's going to go to Tarshish and run away as far as possible, as fast as he can go. He is doing exactly the opposite thing of what God wants him to do. And so here's the question I want to ask you this morning. This is where it becomes contemporary. What is God asking you to do for Him? And what is it, perhaps, that you may be running away from? God has spoken to your heart by His Holy Spirit. You've just come off of a series of tremendous messages preached by Pastor Ben on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart, impressing upon your life what you are to do, where you are to go, how you are to live your life for the glory of God. God has been speaking to you. What is it that God has been whispering to your soul? When you get quiet and you listen to God's voice, what are the things that God is speaking to your heart? Perhaps like Jonah, He's impressing upon you the need to go somewhere. Maybe like me, it's an impression of the Holy Spirit to change jobs to move to a different city. Maybe God's been whispering to you lately that you need to stay right where you are, right where He has you planted. Even though it's hard to stay there and and it's getting tougher with each passing day in that job in the marketplace and you're beginning to hate the job that you're in, perhaps God is whispering to your soul and saying you need to stay right there because that's exactly where I have you. Maybe God's been whispering to you about some of the baggage that you're carrying around in your life and have been carrying it around for a long time. Some baggage that you need to to shed in your life. You've, You've got a habit in your life that is destroying you. It may be destroying your marriage. It may be destroying and sucking the joy out of your life. Perhaps God has been been speaking gently and sometimes toughly to your heart and saying, this is what I want you to do. Some people may be involved in some flirtation with someone. Perhaps you've taken some steps that have gone too far down the line. And perhaps the Holy Spirit of God has been whispering to your soul and saying it's time for you to cut it off and you need to cut it off now. And if you keep going down this line, you know in your heart, because God is whispering to your heart, you know if you keep going in the direction you're going that it's going to spell disaster for you. Some of you have made may have heard the whisper of God that you need to make a phone call to a particular person. Maybe you need to reconcile a relationship. Perhaps you need to make an appointment with a Christian counselor or pastor. Perhaps God has been whispering to your soul that you need to to embark on a new ministry adventure that He wants you to be on. Or maybe God has been calling you like He called Jonah to take a risk and Begin to build a bridge toward a neighbor or a friend or coworker, or somebody who's outside the family of God, to love them, to bring the message of God's good news in Jesus Christ to them, to reach out to them with the love of Christ. 
My question to you this morning is, what is God whispering to your soul? And what is it that you are resisting? Where are you resisting God's will in your life? Are you, my friend, are you like Jonah, running away from Nineveh in the opposite direction going to Tarshish? And I would urge you this morning that if something has come to your mind in the midst of these last few moments, if if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, I would urge you to write that down and spend some time praying about that and 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 to 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 just understand what is it that God is speaking to my heart. That's so vitally important. Let's move on. Verse four. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How in the world can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us, and we will not perish. Now, verse 4 and onward gives us a mini-picture of the pagan world that Jonah is living in the midst of. Which, of course, brings us to our big word of the day, the word pagan. It's only five letters, but it's a really big word, technically. And it's a word that's often misused. Now, when we use the word pagan, we're not talking about somebody with just bad table manners. You know, you remember when your mom used to say, sit up and stop eating like a pagan. Maybe your mom didn't say that to you. (laughs) We're not talking about somebody with bad table manners. In the Greco-Roman world, pagans were people who were simply non-Jewish or non-Christian. It wasn't a derogatory term. It was merely descriptive of where they fell spiritually. So, in the next four weeks, we're going to use this word pagan a lot. And we're not using it in a way that's derogatory. So, if you read at this deeper level and you see that Jonah symbolizes Israel, you'll see that the sailors in this story symbolize the pagans. They are the ones who are outside the family of God. We see them in these verses praying to their own gods when the ship comes into the midst of the storm. So what does God do in this story? He takes the wind. Isn't it wonderful to know that the wind, the sun, aren't you glad the sun is shining today, that the sun and the moon are at the Lord's bidding? I thought about that the other night when NASA is sending a rocket to bounce into the moon to see if there's actually ice or vapor there to see if life could exist on the moon. I'm thinking, I wonder what God is thinking about all of this. So what does God do? He speaks to the wind, and He sends the wind, and the the wind, unlike Jonah, the wind obeys God. And where is Jonah in the midst of the storm? He's downstairs sleeping, below deck. 
Now, if you go back and read this passage in the original language in the Hebrew, you'll find that this word down is used on a repeated basis. Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah went down below deck. Jonah lied down to go to sleep. That is a a literary characteristic of the author to talk about the fact that Jonah keeps making choices to go down, down, down. And what the text is saying is that with each choice to go down, he is going closer to death. He chose to go down to Joppa, first mistake. He chose to go down below deck, second mistake. He chose to lie down to go to sleep. And with each choice to go down, he's choosing death instead of choosing life. How like that are we? We sense the Spirit of God calling us to life and freedom and liberty. But instead of going up and choosing life, instead we choose to go down. And some of you are making choices even today to go further down. And tomorrow you'll make some more choices that will take you further down and down and down. Jonah was making horrible choices all along the way. He's a messenger of God. He's a prophet. That's what his job is. But he's in this ship with a bunch of pagans, people who desperately need the message that God has given him. And he does absolutely nothing about it. He chooses to lie down and go to sleep. He avoids the pagans. I wonder, have you ever been guilty of that? Has God ever prompted you to speak a word for Him? And yet, instead of doing that, you push it away. You avoid the opportunities that God has put right in front of you to speak a word for Christ. Are you with the sailors up on deck giving the message of hope and Christ to them? Or are you sleeping? Christian, are you sleeping below deck today? There's a dramatic contrast that's drawn here between Jonah and the sailors. Jonah's downstairs sleeping, but the sailors are up on the top deck, and what are they doing? They're tossing stuff over, and while they're tossing stuff overboard they are praying the scripture says that they are praying each to their own god they're praying up a house of fire isn't it interesting that the man who should have been praying jonah prophet of god should have been praying he's down sleeping but all the pagans the sailors while they're trying to lighten the load on deck they're all praying to their gods and saying Won't you have mercy on us? And so the captain, Captain Pagan, comes down, and he comes down to Jonah and says, why don't you call out to your God? Everybody else is praying to their gods. Why don't you try your God and see if your God can do any better than than these other gods? These pagan sailors who have very little information about God, but they have a deep instinct in their heart that they know they need to cry out to God. And the captain tells Jonah to do the same thing. So what we see in verses 7 through 10 is this. The sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making this trouble. What do you do? What's your occupation? You're a prophet of God. 
Where do you come from? Oh, you come from Gath Heifer. What, what is your country? Who are the people that you are from? And Jonah answers them and he says, I am a Hebrew. He finally coughs it out and he says, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them. And they stroked their beards and they said, Aha, so we see. You're the one responsible. You serve this God who controls the sea and the land. You worship Yahweh, the God of heaven. We get it. You worship God. You're running from Him. And instead of running to Him, you run to the sea. And the sailors all look at Jonah, and I have to believe that they all looked at Jonah and went, Loser! Stupid! Aren't we We try to outrun God. We try to do it our own way. We take matters into our own hands. We want to manage our own life. Yeah, God, I hear what you're saying, but I've got a better way. And the sailors who are pagans outside the family of God at least had enough sense to pray. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so the sailors, these pagan sailors said to him, well, what do we need to do, loser? What do we need to do to make the sea calm down? So Jonah comes up with a solution. It's interesting that his solution has nothing to do about prayer or obeying God. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He didn't even have the guts to throw himself into the sea. He he makes the sailors do it for him. But they didn't want to do that because they were afraid that Yahweh would take revenge upon them. So instead, these pagan sailors did their best to row the ship back to land, but they could not because the sea was growing more wild by the second. And they cried out to the Lord. The word there is the personal name of God. These pagan sailors cried out to the Lord, to Yahweh. The name that was spoken at the burning bush. Yahweh. I am that I am. And these pagans cried out to Yahweh. There is a revival that takes place on board. With the little information that they had, somehow God is moving there. And they cried out to Yahweh, Oh Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, oh Lord, for you, oh Yahweh, you do as you please. And so what did they do? They took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea... What did it do? It grew calm. And at this, the Word tells us, at this, these pagan sailors feared greatly the Lord God, Yahweh. And they not only feared Him, but they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, Yahweh. And they made vows to the Lord, to Yahweh.
there was a revival on board. These sailors express their faith in God with so little information. And so Jonah goes overboard, and we see what happens in verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish, not necessarily a whale. We always think about a whale. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And the Word tells us that Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Jonah may think that he's been successful in running from God and escaping from God. But even as God had appointed the winds to whip, so God has appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Let me put out the warning here. If you think you're going to be successful in outrunning God, don't be fooled. Because if you're running away from God, instead of running east, you're running west to Tarshish. Sooner or later, you're going to become fish bait. You will. You will not succeed. And God will have the last word. Now we're going to pick up there next week when we come together again, Lord willing. But because time is done, two quick takeaways. The first takeaway is this. God loves pagan people. He loves them. He loves them so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die for them. This is about a compassionate God whose mercy is great. This book tells us about God who is all about the Ninevites. He cares so much about these lost people that He sends His prophet, His messenger, to go speak a word to them about their wickedness so that their hearts would turn. God is about lost people. God is about the sailors. God is about your neighbors. God is about your co-workers. God is about people in your family that you love that are outside the family of God. He loves them and He wants them to be saved. The question this morning is not, does God love them? The question before us this morning is, do you? Do you love them enough to get out of the boat? Do you love them enough to obey God? Do you love pagan people who live around you enough to get out of your comfort zone and obey the Word of the Lord as it comes to you? The book of Jonah is more than a fascinating account about one man's futile attempt to outrun God. It's a story of God's love for the most unlovable, despicable people we can imagine. And our responsibility, church, is to tell pagan people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be as a church. That's why we support missionaries like Steve and Christy Volstead and Tom and Tina Freilich and others like them around the world because they are out there in the front trenches telling people about the love of God in Jesus Christ. That's why we encourage you to participate in short-term missions endeavors, to go to places around the world, to the Dominican Republic, to Poland, 
to Uruguay so that we can have opportunity to tell pagans about the love of Jesus Christ. But it's not just about points around the world. It's about people in your own backyard, people in your office, people in the schoolroom, people in your neighborhood, people in your family. Do you love them as much as God loves them? And are you willing to take a risk and tell them the good news about Jesus? Are you? Are you willing? Second question. I asked it earlier, what is God whispering to you? Is there anything going on in your heart that He's been calling you to do that you've been avoiding? Stop resisting it. Come home. Stop running. Find out what's important in life and put everything else to the side in order to obey God and to do what He's called you to do. The lesson of Jonah in chapter 1 is very clear. In one sentence, it is this. Obey God or pay the consequences. Which will you choose? Obey God? Pay the consequences. 